Hello and welcome to the South North Baptist Church podcast. This message was originally delivered in 2018 as part of our Why series. And today, Reverend Seidel Abel Boanages speaks about why we share our faith. We hope you're blessed by this message. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandal, and do not greet anyone on the road. And the second reading is from Matthew 28:16-20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. God is good. Let's try that again. God is good. And all the time. Amen. I want to share something really exciting event that happened in my life last week, two weeks ago actually. Last week, my car MOT was due. And then, um, so I got a notification the big week before and I... Um, got in touch with my good friend Errol to get my MOT done. Normally, whenever I get my MOT done, I have never spent anything less than £100. Though the MOT fee might be, you know, 49.99 or something like that, there's always an extra bill that seems to come up with it. And that's how I got my MOT done. But last two weeks ago, I got my MOT done for... 1799. Isn't that exciting? Thanks to my dear friend Errol. And I was really amazed. And then Errol told me something after my MOT, my car passed the MOT, and he said, Look, Seidel, I have I have his permission to say this. Um, he has this personal philosophy. He says, I don't pick up bits and pieces that are okay and pretend that needs to be worked on. It goes against my faith. So I only tell the things that are really problematic, and then I will do that. So a big round of applause to Errol. Thank you, Errol, for living out your faith in word and in deed. So, this morning's sermon is on why do we share our faith? I need to go the other way around. Why do we share our faith? Recently, I heard a story about a person who applied for a job as an usher, a person who guides people. He applied for this job at a theater. As the part of the interview process, the manager asked him, what would you do in, the, in case a fire breaks out? His immediate response was, 
oh, don't worry about that, I can get out fine. <laughs> That's how I think many in the world today will respond to a lost and dying group of people around them. What would happen if Jesus would come back tomorrow? The probable response would be, oh, don't worry about that, I'm fine. But sometimes it is easy to forget that we are ushers of the gospel. It is not enough to get ourselves out of this fire. We are responsible for others to guide them out of this fire. I have a simple two-point sermon this morning, why we evangelize, and two, how can we effectively evangelize? But before we move ahead to this, in Christian circles, I often find this, there's a confusion about what exactly evangelism is all about. The word evangelism basically means good news. That's the problem. They can interpret that in many, many, many ways. Some people equate community work, lunch club, homeless work, street pastors, activities as evangelism. But please listen now. They are not evangelism. They are means to evangelism. Evangelism is an intentional activity. It's an intentional activity to introduce Jesus Christ so that they can have a relationship with God through him. One of the slides that I share at um, Spurgeon's College is to show how big the Christian mission is. In Christian mission, these are five marks of Christian mission, where there is evangelism, where is discipleship, social action, justice, and environment. They are part of the Christian mission of the church of God. We are sent into the world to fulfill this big Christian mission. But evangelism is not just the first or the most important thing that needs to be done. Evangelism, though it's in point number one, it has to be part of every other point. In our discipleship, in our social action, all the activities we do, in challenging unjust structures, in taking care of the environment, evangelism should be a part of that. Evangelism, in other words, is an intentional activity that has the aim of bringing people into a living relationship with God through the work of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, evangelism is not the job of the evangelist only. Evangelism is the job of every redeemed person. Every redeemed person who has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. I don't know what other denominations, but as Baptists, we have a three-point declaration principle. Has that been covered any time? It might have been. That there are three basic points that we, need, we agree as fellow Baptists. The first one is, the Lordship of Christ. The second one is believers' baptism. And the third declaration principle says it is the duty of every follower, a believer of Christ, to be part of the world evangelization. Every believer has that, um, has that duty to share Christ. But you see, evangelist is a specific office that is described in uh, the book of Timothy, where evangelist not only has the task of evangelization, but also equips the church to go and evangelize. It's a specific calling, but it's the duty of every believer to evangelize. 
I have come across many people in my uh, ministerial uh, time. They come to me and honestly acknowledge uh, before me that evangelism is not, cup of, uh, is not my cup of tea, Seidel. I'm not an extrovert. I can't debate. I can't preach. In one sense, some, someone even said I don't like people. Uh, I, I can't evangelize. If I say to you, when I say the word evangelist, what's the first name comes into your mind? Jesus, or a contemporary evangelist? Billy Graham. Anyone else? Sorry? Handing out leaflets, like a name of a person who comes to your mind when I say the word evangelist or evangelism. Billy Graham, very, very common. Benny Hinn, okay? You see, evangelism in the past has been done by people who can speak. When we say the word evangelism now, people equate that those are the kind of evangelists we are talking about. But that's not true. Evangelism can be done in many, many, many ways. Here is a slide for you. Billy Graham, evangelizing. There are different types of evangelizing. Billy might belong to the proclaiming kind of style. But you can evangelize via your testimonies. And to the person who came to me and said, I don't want to talk. I said, okay, don't talk. Be an invitational evangelist. Take this person to somewhere where the gospel is being preached. You are being part of that evangelism process. Uh, you can be uh, doing evangelism through literature and art. Classic example is C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, you don't have to always talk to do evangelism. You can do evangelism with whatever gift that God has given you. That's a very important point to notice. And then finally, apologetics, debates, and all that stuff. When I was a minister, a lady came to me and said, one, uh, she was the one who said, uh, I don't like people. Um, so I said, okay, let's sit down and see what you can do. How, you, how can you help us in our uh, church evangelism? And one of the ways that uh, we figured out was she loves baking. She makes amazing cupcakes. We organized a community event. She made loads and loads of cupcakes, wonderful cupcakes. And people came and said, who made these cupcakes? And we pointed out to her. And she was trying to hide away. But then, as people came into the church, others stepped in. I said, look, you are the reason why people are coming in. So it doesn't matter. You don't have to always talk to share the faith. You can do that in many, many ways. One, one of the challenges uh, that I will leave with you is to figure out what kind of an evangelist are you? Or how can you do evangelism? What gifting do you have? And God can certainly use that gifting wherever you are. I know people who are completely disabled, paralyzed, neck downwards, telling people about Jesus, singing, people, uh, singing about Jesus and writing about Jesus. Here is one thing I realized when I was in my undergraduate studies in theology. You can train people until they are blue in their face. You can give them all kinds of information, all kinds of strategies, all kinds of methodologies and theologies. But one thing I realized is effective evangelism is done by highly motivated people. It is done by highly motivated people. It's not about training or talking ability. They might help, but it's about motivation. 
What drives you? What drives you? The fundamental aspect of any evangelism. What drives you? Do you have that joy of salvation in your own life? Do you know what Christ has done for you? You call yourself a Christian, but do you really know what happened? How he has redeemed you from eternal separation. You see, I didn't start my sermon just because of a random thing quoting Errol. I couldn't stop talking about it the whole of last week. Because that was the best thing that happened to me in so many years I had my driving license. It just came out in whatever I spoke last week. Can your Christian faith come through like that? Guess what Jesus Christ has done in my life? Highly motivated people. Ask yourself a question, personal reflection. Do you have that joy of salvation? If not, ask God to give you that joy of salvation so it can come through your life. So quickly, why do we evangelize? Let me put all these different things. We evangelize because as we read in Matthew chapter 28, we are commanded to evangelize. You see, Jesus Christ in verse 19 of that, he didn't say go and you know, evangelize the whole world. He said go and make disciples of all nations, which involves evangelization. He gave the authority, but he said wait for a special event to take place. And then after Matthew finishes, we move into um, before he ascended, he said wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We move to Acts chapter 1 and then Acts chapter 2. The church was created to tell people about Jesus. Fifty days after the resurrection, the 120 followers were gathered in. It was that day when the church was born in a blaze of glory. It was the birthday of the church. Now usually whenever people preach on the Pentecost Sunday, they might focus on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, or the actual event that took place. When I read Acts chapter 2, I, all that I see is a revival. All that I see is a revival. When Holy Spirit came powerfully on these 120 believers, they began speaking in tongues. Why? Not to have the transcendental heavenly experience. They went out to evangelize. People were listening to all these people and saying, why are they speaking in our own language? Why are they sharing the gospel? About 3,000 people were saved on that day when the church was born. Three, we evangelize because Christ is the only way to God. I firmly believe that. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We are dead to God. There is nothing we can do to earn his favor. People who are not covered by the sacrifice of Christ, people who are not covered by the blood of Christ, people who are not covered by the righteousness of Christ and are justified, cannot have eternal life. They are on this broad way that Jesus says, that way to eternal destruction. This might not be a political thing to say, but it is the truth according to the Bible. However, we want to interpret the Bible to make it sound politically correct. They are people who are dying without Christ. 
I'll talk about compassion in a little bit. Just living a moral life doesn't do any good. We are dead to God. Dale Moody once said, if you take a guy stealing nuts and bolts on a railway track, send him to college so that he will, you know, change, he said at the end of his education, he'll end up stealing the whole railway track. <laughs> Something fundamental needs to be changed within the person's heart. I mean, I've said this many times when I preached here. Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. That was not his purpose. Jesus Christ came to make dead people live. Dead people who are dead in their sins live again so that they can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then, that's the platform which we give so that they can then do good deeds. We don't do good deeds so that we can be saved. We do good deeds, why? Because we are saved. The outworking of our salvation A guy got saved and went back home and told his mom, Mom, I got saved. His mom looked at him and said, Son, you have been brainwashed. His son looked at her mom and said, Mom, if you had actually known what was in my brain, you will be glad it has been washed. <laughs> Jesus came to make dead people live, not just make bad people good. So we are commanded, the church was created, and we evangelized because Christ is the only way to God. Because he is the only one who took that sin on the cross. You show me any other person who paid that price for the sins, I'm happy to believe that person. But there are none. How can we effectively evangelize? Luke chapter 10 gives us a beautiful model. Even Luke chapter 9 is where Jesus sends his 12 disciples two by two into the city. But in Luke chapter 10, he sends 72 disciples, 72 followers of Christ. There's so much in Luke chapter 10. That's why I just selected uh, verses 1 to 4, but I'll move till 7 because verses 5 to 7 has a beautiful application. I will do an ex uh, exposition of these uh, seven verses quickly. If you want to keep that passage open, please do. Verse 1 in chapter 10, we see 72 of these followers of Christ who were sent by Jesus. He picked 12. These are in addition to those 12 apostles. 72 more. He sent them as first kingdom missionaries. These are genuine followers of Christ who are willing to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And in, if, if you go down to Luke uh, chapter 10 verse 11, they had a message to share. Their message was simple. The kingdom of God has come near. That was their message. Just share that message. But now the gospel has been fully developed after uh, Jesus Christ died for us, rose from the dead, and has ascended to God. We have a good description of the gospel message, but at that time, it was the kingdom of God has come near. They're not to convert people, they are just to share the gospel, or share that message. A young salesman was disappointed about losing a big sale, and he talked with his sales manager, and he lamented, saying that, I guess... It just proves that you can lead a horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. The manager looked at him and said, Son, please take my advice. 
Your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. So it is with evangelism. Our jobs are not to convert people. Conversion, conviction of the sin is the job of the Holy Spirit, not ours. We are not to convert people. We are to share the message of Christ and then trust God and leave it with God. We have to make them thirsty so that they can clearly see the cross. They can clearly see their desperate need of Christ. So, the first element in Luke chapter 10. Let me pull. Compassion. Compassion. The basis of all evangelism is compassion. It isn't training. It is compassion. A deep, profound sense of sympathy for the desperate condition of the unsaved. Now, let's see what actually, uh, what Jesus said. In verse 2, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is huge, but there are no laborers. He said the same words in Luke chapter 9 when he commissioned his 12 disciples. If we go back to um, Luke uh, chapter 9, we see what actually made Jesus say that statement. Jesus was going through village through village in this Galilean region, and he Claiming the key gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and sickness. And then he looked at his disciples and said, Look, the harvest is plentiful, but there are very few laborers. There are very few laborers. Like I said, the whole world is heading towards the second death, a death that cannot be undone. Unbelievers flayed and stripped and depressed and destitute by so many false worldviews on in in this earth people are desolate bewildered they don't know how to distinguish truth from a lie lord's heart is filled with compassion the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few one of my favorite evangelists is dl moody when D.L. Moody came to London, like probably two centuries ago, uh, he was approached by an Anglican clergyman who wanted to know the secret of Moody's success in leading people to Christ. And so Moody directed this man to his hotel window and said, what do you see outside? The clergyman looked down on the square and reported a view of the crowded street. Moody suggested, uh, look again. This time the man mentioned seeing people, men, women, children. Moody then suggested a third time, look again and see what you see. And the man became frustrated because he was not seeing what D.L. Moody wanted him to see. And then the great evangelist came to the window with watery eyes and said, Reverend, I see people going to hell without Jesus. Until you see people like that, you will not lead them to Christ. What do we see at 5 o'clock traffic on a, a busy street, a crowded street, a busy restaurant, people running all around the place, or even in your own family? What do you see? Can we ask God to give us eyes to see like Him? That's how we effectively evangelize. There's no hidden secret. If there's one hidden secret, it is your joy of your own salvation and to see people like Jesus did and these great evangelists did. 
So evangelism begins with a compassion, born of proper assessment of this big problem. And two is that of prayer. This is what Jesus says in verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, laborers are few, therefore ask, beseech, beg, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest field. A very good point. We might pray for people to get saved, but how often do we pray for the laborers? Think about it. How often do we pray for more people to evangelize in our community? We pray for the community. But a good point we can take from this verse 2 is, how often do we pray for people to evangelize? And in beginning of verse 3, we get the sense of urgency. Compassion, prayer, urgency. Do you see the word go with an exclamation mark in the Bible? In its original language, it's the present imperative. Go, keep on going. There's urgency, no time for delay, no time to gather anything. Just go. Evangelism is immediate. It's immediate. It doesn't matter if you're saved five years ago or one year ago. You can start your ministry of evangelism today in whatever way God has given you. One excuse I often hear is, I'm waiting for the perfect time. There's no such thing as a perfect time. Try saying that when your taxes are due to the government. I'm waiting for the perfect time. It doesn't work. And some people wait for specific signs. The Lord has not given me any sign yet to evangelize. It's like this guy who prayed every morning. Lord, if you want me to witness to someone today, please give me a sign to show me who it is. One day he found himself on a bus uh, when a big muscular man sat next to him. The bus was nearly empty, but this guy just sat next to our praying friend. The timid Christian anxiously waited for his stop to come so he could exit the bus. But before he could get very nervous about the man sitting next to him, the big guy burst into tears and began to weep. He cried with a loud voice, I need to be saved. I'm a lost sinner. I need Lord. Someone tell me how to be saved. And then this Christian, he turned to this Christian and pleaded, Can you tell me how to be saved? The believer immediately bowed down his head and said, Lord, is this a sign? Should I share the gospel with him? Are you looking for a sign to start witnessing? Please don't. Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 4 verse 12, um, John chapter 14 verse 6, they are all signs. Just go and share the joy of your salvation wherever you are. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, today is the day of salvation. Just don't. Go! Compassion, prayer, urgency. Number four, vigilance. Be on the alert. Be on the alert. Verse 3 says, Behold, I send you out lambs in the midst of wolves. You're going to be like a lamb in, the, in a wolf pack. I just want to tell you that this is not a very good recruiting speech. I mean, if you want to figure out a way for people to sign up, that probably wouldn't be it. But I love the honesty of Jesus. He never lowered the standard. 
did he? He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. I'm sending you like a lamb in the midst of a wool pack. Your life will be in constant danger and threat. So we have got to watch out for the civil government, the justice systems, the religious systems, the governors and the kings. They are going to come to get us. Some people genuinely don't do any evangelism because of fear. I might lose my friends. I might be rejected. But let me tell you something. Evangelism doesn't come with 100% success rate. Jesus himself said, they are going to reject you. You know why? Because they rejected me first. But if you acknowledge me in front of people in this world, I will acknowledge you in front of my Father in the kingdom of heaven. I'll leave that thought with you. Compassion, prayer, urgency, vigilance, and lastly, number five, lifestyle. Lifestyle. Verses five to seven say, when you enter a house, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Do not move house to house here and there. Let people see how you live. Lifestyle. Lifestyle. You see, one of my favorite quotes from an apologist called Ravi Zacharias He says the single greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has not been its inability to provide answers, but the failure on our part to live it out. All of our evangelism is useless if we don't match our lifestyle to what we preach. Non-believers have a right to expect integrity and authenticity from us if they have to take us seriously. Are you, I mean, we as Christians might have a burden to share our faith. Very good. But how can the words impact the listener if those words are not evident in our own lives? I heard the story of this couple, a family actually, who uh, went to church, listened to a fantastic sermon on evangelism, how we should evangelize people. And one of the points they took with them is to... Uh, do home evangelism, to you know, uh, bring someone for a meal and then share the gospel. So they invited one of their um, uh, colleague's families uh, for evening meal. And then the colleague family came uh, to this particular Christian family's house. And then uh, they were ready to eat this wonderful meal that was cooked for them. And then the Christian family's um, side, the mother looked at the son and said, son, why don't you say grace for us? And the son looked, I mean, a seven or eight year old son, he looked at his mom and said, do you want me to pray? He's like, yeah, I want you to pray because they can see how you pray. Uh, you know, non-Christian friends can see how you pray. So he looked at his mom and said, I don't, but I don't know how to pray. Uh, so his mom said, just pray something. Pray whatever dad prayed this morning before breakfast. Uh, so he's going to pray. Uh, and he said, okay then. So he closed his eyes and said, Lord Jesus, we pray for this awful family coming this evening. Please bless our food and be with us. Amen. Words matching actions. We might have that passion, but if we don't live an evangelistic lifestyle, that which matches Christ Jesus Whatever we do is useless because we ourselves are deceiving us and them and God. I think, let me leave you with this quote. Gypsy Smith, the Irish evangelist, who said, There are five Gospels, 
not four, there are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. Many people will never read the first four, but they will read the last Gospel, which is you.